When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Bleeding Blue. This is a New York football Giants history show. Snacks, it is draft month. We started it about a week late. We're fine. We're good. Snacks, how are you doing? Exciting show we have coming up. We have coming up today. How are you doing? We do. It's a very it's a it's a different show in a yeah. sense. Uh very different. We kind of we kind of had to do a lot of research for this, which was fun. And it just kind of shows, I would say, our dedication. So I hope everybody realizes how dedicated we are to this Bleeding Blue Giants History podcast. We didn't put a ton of research in. Oh, we put enough in, Justin. Don't <laughs> sell, don't sell, don't sell ourselves short. We just spent the last hour and a half hammering down the details of everything. So I don't want to hear it. Other than that, I'm doing great. I got my second dose, as you know. Um, I, I mainly did it because I, I, I think that it'll be easier for me to get into like Madison Square Garden to watch the Knicks and Rangers to get into MetLife, which we're never going to be able to go again. Um, getting Yankee Stadium. So I figured I get this and we're good to go. Uh, but I was on my deathbed this week, man. Deathbed. Like you got your second second shot, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you said you felt okay. Felt fine. Me? I was I was wiped out. I think you, you were you would text me like there are mornings, you'll text me at like 7 30, and I'll respond mm-hmm. in like 15 minutes when I wake up at 7 45, whatever the case. I think I was answering you at like eleven o'clock in the morning. I was, no, just, was bad. I, I, I could not stop sleeping. I, my body was just so shot. And I don't know if that was all the, the pizza and, and the cheese and everything, or it was the actual shot. I'll never know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. So I can't give you that information. But now but nothing can defeat you. Nothing can defeat me. I beat cancer. I watched the Sean Jackson run into my end zone. I have watched, I watched Trey Junk, Trey Junkin, that idiot, Miss, Car- uh, Miss, Miss Carrie, Miss, uh, Miss Snap. Mm-hmm. In the wild card game, I've seen plenty that didn't kill me. So uh, a little shot is not going to do it. But I feel great. Happy to be here. I love this. I love you. Let's do it. We have two bleeding blue related uh, related updates we before yes. we get into the actual show. And the, the topic today is the best value giant draft picks of all time. So we're going to be looking at rounds four and on. Now, this even includes, I, I don't know when this actually started. I believe it, it was in the 90s where it might have, uh, the draft started to be solely seventh round, uh, seven rounds. But before then, it was like more 14, than that. 14, 15. 14 yeah. something. So yeah. um, that's what we're going to be doing today. But two Bleeding Blue related updates. Snacks, let's start out with the bad news first because you have yes. a good update. But here's here's some bad news. So over the summer, and we've alluded to this book before too, even during the like the 2021 offseason. But we've been reading a book 
for almost a year now called If These Walls Could Talk by Ernie Palladino. And bad job on us, bad guy moves <laughs> for not doing our due diligence and looking this up beforehand because we've been saying how we want we wanted to get him on the show. We wanted to get him on the show. If These Walls Could Talk is such a good book. It's, it's solely about like stories of the 2010s giants and especially really profiling. No, not even 2010s. It no, was, it's, it's it was that, 2000, yeah. 2003 or 2000 ish yeah. to 2013. Cause that's when that's the book was written. It was like the Eli era. Like yeah. from that point on. Yeah. So Eli, he, he, he was a giant historian fossil too. Yeah. There's a lot of yes, fossil yeah. stuff. Straight I'm in saying stories. like, but that yeah. Time frame, Yeah. So we love that book. We just learned <laughs> Ernie Palladino rest in peace. He passed away in 2018. Yeah. Um, and I was it, about uh, I was about to DM Art Stapleton, and I'm like, before I ask Art Stapleton if one of his colleagues is still alive, let me check and see if I can find if he is. And I found my answer, and I'm I'm very upset. We both were when you said that. I was devastated because we were talking. We were like, we need to find a Giants historian that could come on with us and talk about. You know, the prehistoric times where we were not alive and like even before the 80s, like the Emlyn, yeah. Emlyn Tunnell and, and those guys like Sam, Hunt, all those guys we wanted to find. And I'm like, Ernie Palladino, I mean, this is perfect. We talk about his book and sure enough. So moment of silence. OK, may, may he rest in peace, um, Ernie, that is that is that is the bad news. And um, thank you for for writing this book before you passed on, Ernie. We will. He also wrote another book about Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi, which I now we now have to pick up. That's probably a great read. It's a great read. So Ernie Paladini was like a was on like twenty plus years on the Giants beat too. Died very yeah. young. He was only sixty three. I feel like that's yeah, very young. Very young. Very young. He we, died we peacefully did. though. Okay, well that's all that matters. I, I read I his obituary. Want... You did. I I told you I didn't want to read it. You're a very sh- emotional person. It shook me up. I am way too emotional. We were watching. We found a video of the, the 2011. Like it, it was like a tribute. Giants, a tribute. Yeah. And we got like 15 seconds in and we're watching it together. And I said, turn it off. I can't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do we it. Weren't, like there, there's no, there's going to be no, like there's only one guy, one or two guys that we're going to be mentioning. That's like from that 2011 team as part yeah. of this episode. And I'm like, snacks, there's really no reason for us to watch this video. Cause we were prepping and he's like, put it on. <laughs> And then we got like 30 seconds in, 15 seconds in. And, and it's because of the music. The music does something to you. When you watch like football, like a, a good moment and there's like good music on, it, it does something to you. And- we had to turn it off because it yeah. was too much. Had to. Um, very, very. Very emotional music. Music does that to me all the time. Like when I hear Hell's Bells, I I tear up. Oh yeah. Just what's knowing... your What's your good update? My good update. Okay, so I did a little research, you know, and on on Giants Twitter and everything, we always hear about like the jersey change. Go back to the jerseys with the Giants, the, the word Giants on the helmet, yeah, the, helmet and the old yeah. school uniform. And I figured out when we are going to make that switch. It is going to be the year 2025. Why 2025? Because that is going to be the 100th year anniversary of the New York Giants. Wow. And I think that is the perfect time to finally make that uniform switch. 
And I'm been- a person. I'm a person. I hate uniform changes. Like you see all these loser teams like the Jets. They won four games in like eight years and they changed their uniforms and they look like a high school football team. I don't want that. You're going to win games like the Rams. The Rams were in a Super Bowl. They, they changed uniforms, whatever the case. I hate the uniform change, especially for a losing team. It just, to me, it's an excuse to bring more fans in or, or get fans more engaged when they know your team's a loser. And I don't want that because I don't want to be associated as a loser, even though we are. But in, in three, four years, I think that's the perfect time. And I think that's when Joe Judge has three Super Bowl rings and sure. and we're back. So 2025 is when you guys should expect the Giants uniform change permanently. Because they've been flirting with it with the color rush. They and I, and, I and even they're beautiful. Like, they're beautiful. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. I even like the week before the actual game of of them playing with the color rush their practice helmets are they yeah. they changed the logo with them too so they've been flirting with it i think they've been flirting with the idea um and people love the color rush jerseys i, I think people like the color rush jerseys and have more color rush jerseys than people had red jerseys oh without a doubt absolutely first of yeah. all the red the red uniforms are hideous i hated those and we never I'd like wanted, them i hated them we never I wanted ha- them we yeah, never we always played dallas yeah we never wanted them <laughs> And Joe and Judge, sure. Joe Judge, who's been here a year, is already like a Giants historian. Remember yep. the, the 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 Ring of Honor jersey guys? He would put it on the practice squad players, uh, or or put on the players like uh, uniform numbers from past grades. Yeah, rookies, the rookies, rookies. He did that. Yeah, rookies, rookies. Right, you're right. I'm sorry. And so he has he has an idea of history, and he even said that in his opening press conference, like it's a historic franchise. So he will be here. He's going to be here for 20 years. And I think that's the perfect time. Our hundredth year anniversary. That's when you make the change. I like it. I like it a lot. And it makes, it makes sense. It does. And we'll be on our fourth QB by then. So hopefully everything will be good, but that is when we will make the change. Uh, The bleeding blue account. It was, it it was getting near 1925 followers. I wanted to kill you. I was on my deathbed when you did this. I tweeted out from the Bleeding Blue account. I said the goal for this is for this account is to get to 1925 followers and never gain another follower after that. Um, how many people? How, hold on, real quick. How many people do you think actually understood that reference? I would hope the majority of the people. It is a history podcast, so now we're up to 1940. So the mission was not accomplished. Well, let's get to 2000. Screw it. Let's get to actually no. I don't want to. I don't want to get to two thousand because we lost the Super Bowl that year. No, let's get to twenty eleven. Then never gain another follower after that. Perfect. Perfect. Sold. Sold. Okay, is right. there a way we could stop people from following us after we get? To- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Be pretty sweet. All right, no, but l- l- let's get into this. You got to explain. You got to explain how we um, decided on these value guys because right. this is more analytical. So this is all you. So I am going to step back from the microphone. Oh, yeah? And you go. This episode's not very analytical. Not, not really, analogy. but I don't know. I don't. I, AV is a little different for me, so <sighs> do it. Well, no. Well, how? Well, how we went about of determining which players are some of the best value draft picks that the Giants had. I mentioned looking at post round four, so rounds four and on. Um, also, undrafted guys. We did include undrafted free agents in this too, because the Giants particularly have definitely two. Two of their undrafted free agents are some of their best draft season selections in franchise history. 
Um, then the third one is significant. Uh, Chase Blackburn, spoiler alert. He was undrafted. He's He is significant. Jake Ballard was also undrafted too. Two guys from 2011 that had a lot of impact. But um, two, two are undrafted that are some of the best in Giants history in terms of just draft selections. And then the one is one of the best undrafted free agents of all time. We'll get to him. So there's that, that's kind of like how we're determining, but how we went about like who we're going to choose, especially since, you know, there, we have players here that are like from the sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's one guy that's in the forties and the fifties, how we went about is we looked at like career AV, which on pro football reference, AV is approximate value. That's what it stands for. Just think of it like war in baseball. I can't, I can't really explain it. Um, how AV is totally calculated, especially like for offensive linemen. But, you know, for wide receivers, it's yards, it's receptions, it's years played, it's games played, quarterbacks, it's touchdown passes, yards, et cetera, et cetera. You know, interceptions, I think, are going to hurt AV. So uh, think think of it like that, like war in baseball, wins above replacement, the higher AV that you have, the most likely the better career that you had, that you have had in the NFL. So usually guys that have like a 30 to 40 and higher AV, have had pretty solid careers. So all of these guys on this on this list, especially the ones that we're going to talk about more in full, there's six guys in full that we're going to talk about uh, kind of like a little bit in depth and some that we're going to mention in passing. Snacks. Correct. Let's just get it out of the way. Who's one of the undrafted free agents that I'm mentioning um, who is one of the best just draft season picks in franchise history? One of the best or the best? The best, well, I want to hear what you have to say who the who the best is. See, this is really difficult because obviously the guy from our lifetime was he's not the best. No. I uh, but for us he is. Yeah, for because, uh, for us in our in our lifetime. Uh, right, so, so then Victor so then Cruz. Let's start let's I was just gonna say let's just start with Victor Cruz because no, you're right. Overall, he is not because the other one is a Hall of Famer. So uh, let's start with Victor Cruz from from UMass, the University of Massachusetts. A skinny little, skinny little Victor Cruz bursting onto the scene, and it's funny he bursts on the scene because Dominic Hickson went down week two of 2011 against the Rams. Remember, he made that miraculous catch towards ACL. Yes, um, I can also imagine Dominic Hickson was not. I don't have this on top of my head. I can imagine he was a later than fourth round pick as well if he uh, was drafted. I hope. I hope he was. <laughs> I mean, I liked Hickson. He had he had some he had his spurts. He had his he had his big plays, some big kick returns. Um, but no, Victor Cruz was, I mean, arguably people's favorite nowadays, people's favorite giant ever. Just growing up with him and seeing what he did and winning the Super Bowl and helping us win, and all, all the great years he gave us. So undrafted Victor Cruz, uh, number 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 eighty, doing the salsa in the end zone. So let's let's start with him real quick. Tremendous, I mean, tremendous value. Dominic Hickson was also drafted guy. by the Broncos fourth round 2007, which traded into the Giants like four games into the season. I wonder what his AV is. What I could tell you what his, <laughs> what his AV is. It's probably it's probably better than you think. His AV oh, no. 21. Good guess. It was 17. OK, yeah, his career. Okay. Well, he, he was valuable like. He wasn't the worst receiver in the world. He was like a deep threat. He was a speedy guy, but he was really where he was the most valuable was on special teams. So yeah. um, I can understand that, but he doesn't go down. Do we see Victor Cruz in Philly break out in week three? I don't That's know. Good point. I don't know. So I think Victor Cruz would have kind of, 
he would have got there eventually. I don't think well, Dominic Hickson was going to stop Victor Cruz from getting reps if he was if he was that talented. But it could have been too late, is my point. It could have been too late. They don't win yeah. the game in Philly without Victor Cruz. And if they right. go 0-3, they never reach 9-7 and to make the, you know, make the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl. And they clearly wanted so. to protect him because this, I think this is the, fun, I don't know if this is actually correct. My like big fun fact about Victor Cruz is that the season before he broke out. So the, I, I think the giants did this so they can keep him on the roster. They put him on the IR. Yeah. Or the, no injury. Uh, yeah. The IR I'm thinking of baseball. It's not the injured list or whatever. No. Um, he put him on the IR for an ingrown toenail. Yeah. Come That's on. what at least I think it was. Come on. Right. <laughs> Wrong. But they want to keep him on the roster. It's a savvy move. Honestly, it's a savvy yeah. move. Maybe he wasn't ready and they just wanted to keep him. Because you remember, he, he exploded for three touchdowns against the Jets in the preseason. Yes. And you, you hear the, set, the sound bites of uh, Rex Ryan going, wow, that kid's a player, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So we, we always knew something was there. He just needed the opportunity. And, you know, I, I we hate that it comes from an injury, but Dominic Hickson gave him that gave him that opportunity. And how the he, league works. He ran with it. It is how the league works. That is for damn sure. Why don't you give us the uh, the best undrafted free agent? All right. Emlyn Tunnell. Yeah, this is where Arnie Palladino really would have been good. Yeah. Emlyn, rest, Emlyn Tunnell. I so here's the thing about Emlyn Tunnell. Went to college at Iowa, was uh undrafted by the New York Football Giants in 1948. 14 NFL seasons, nine Pro Bowls, four all pro selections. Um, he was inducted to the Hall of Fame 1967. Um, and he is second on the all-time interception list with 79 and then he's also leading he's obviously the the franchise leader in uh interceptions for the giants as well he was the first african-american player inducted into the hall the pro football hall of fame which a lot of people talk about now i can imagine he wasn't the first african-american player to be playing in the nfl but a lot of people talk about jackie robinson jackie robinson jackie robinson i don't think emlyn tonnell is remembered enough in like amongst league history and i I don't want to talk about him fully because I do want to have an episode where we get like, a, I want like a, his, a legit historian to come onto this show to talk about Emlyn Tunnell. Cause he was a phenomenal football player. I've also heard that he's a phenomenal, he was a phenomenal person, did a lot of great things and he was a phenomenal talent. And he, along with being the first uh, uh, pro football, first African-American player who was inducted to the pro football hall of fame. I think he was also the first giants African-American player. Thank you. Yes. Well. I, I, I wanted to, when you said the first African-American player to go into the hall of fame, I, I almost, it hit me. I was like, he was the first African-American player on the New York giants. Yeah. And that is an absolute fact. So, uh, and you're, you're right. We, we have to give more time to Emlyn Tunnell because just of the historic value and everything Pittsburgh. But like is- I said, I want to get, I really want to get a historian on here to talk more fully about Tennell's career, but more importantly, his legacy. And why isn't he, why isn't he talked about more? That's yeah, my no, question. He, he deserves all the accolades he can get too, because I mean, yeah, you'd think of Jackie Robinson in, in baseball and everything, but like for our, for this podcast and for, for our fandom, Emlyn Tunnell is, is like our Jackie Robinson. When yeah. you think about it, he yeah. was the first African-American player on our New York Giants team. And he wasn't just a player. He was a damn good player. Yeah. From what we know, from what we read, he's a Hall of Famer. So he definitely deserves more airtime than we're going to give him today. So shout out to Emlyn Tunnell and his family. I mentioned Chase Blackburn as, a, as another undrafted guy. Um, Substitute teacher. Jake Ballard. Um, that That's really it in terms of the undrafted guys if we're missing anybody let us know 
Um, there's a good chance that we are missing somebody from back in the day, but I think Tanel is the most significant one. And I think Cruz is also the most significant one. So Correct. those two stand above the, the test of everybody. Some guys that we're just going to mention in passing that had solid careers with the giants and they were drafted after the fourth round. Jabril Wilson, mm. solid career. Very good career. Great safety. Wanna helped us win a Super Bowl in 2007, beat the undefeated Patriots. I love I I particularly he was one of my I think he was my favorite player in the secondary Jabril? in 07. Because I think he just played the hardest. He did. He was literally lights out. I, I don't want to say he was a great player because he was not a great player. Like he didn't do anything great, but he was all over the field. Yeah. And when he needed to, there was a hit stick coming. So mm-hmm. Always appreciated Jabril. He played through injuries. He was he was a good ball player, Jabril Wilson. Tahani Jones, sixth round. He had a career AV of 55, and he was a linebacker. Yes, he played three years with the Giants. He had 231 tackles in those three years. He had 120 in his final year. I remember I, I was telling you I wanted to mention him because growing up, I remember Tahani Jones. He had a great, he had a nice big afro, or you know, relatively nice big afro. And then he went to Philly. And I was like, as a kid, you you know, you don't really understand the nuances of free agency and everything and you know 10 years old whatever whatever i was and like dahani jones is not on the giants anymore that this sucks so he had a very productive three years with the giants i don't know why they didn't resign him for a six he was a sixth round sixth round pick and he all he did was produce yeah tackle machine um but yes very nice career for dahani jones harry carson fourth is round. unbelievable yeah fourth round with a 93 career av obviously a hall of famer which he got him way too late. We all know that. We've talked mm-hmm. about that. He should have been in a long time ago, and he should have pulled the Terrell Owens and not showed up at Canton, but whatever. He's a class act, very nice guy. Keith Hamilton, fourth round, 99th overall with the 69 career AV. The hammer, baby, the hammer. Keith Hamilton, man, he had, for a D tackle, I think he had only two, I say only, like people are Aaron Donald at the defensive tackle position, but he had two seasons over 10 sacks he had 10 sacks in 2000 the the year the giants were one of the best defenses in football and um just a a great career with with the giants so keith hamilton earns our respect fourth round pick like that doug riesenberg Mm. tackle right tackle sixth round drafted 168th overall played for the giants 1987 to 1995 he is a Super Bowl champion with the 60 career AV. He locked down the right side for Phil Sims. There's some nice clips of him in space. He's he's creating some blocks for Otis Anderson. We also saw some clips where he's got some blood on his blood on his pants. I think all the I think all the offense alignment, defense alignment had blood on their pants at some point. We yeah, saw we, even a clip of Billy Yard, uh, who we were going to talk about. Uh, yeah. He he had some blood on his pants too. But um, I'm finding a common thread in this next guy. You know, I'll, I'll just mention him right now. Spider Lockhart. Um, he was Carl. drafted in the 13th round, 169th overall, which is wild. He's a two-time pro bowler. He has a career AV of 59. He had 41 interceptions in 10 years. Um, he's also spider was a nickname. His, his, his first, his middle name, his first name, middle name is Carl Ford. He's third all time in interceptions in franchise history with 41. So snacks, we just mentioned some guys in passing. And I want to hear your opinion on this. Cause I think you have a different opinion. The two positions that I feel like the Giants were best at drafting at, and this is in terms of franchise history. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Dave Gunnelman. I'm not talking about George Young, not talking about Jerry Reese or anything like that. Just talk about just franchise history, which has no correlation causation to anything. But franchise history, the two positions that I feel like the Giants were best at drafting at, in terms of the best value picks, 
were offensive guard, offensive tackle, so offensive line, and cornerback. Now we just named some linebackers. So right. linebacker does have a bit of a bit of a say here because Carson, Tahani Jones, we're gonna mention Jesse Armstead in a few minutes. So, but I think tackle and cornerback, historically, some of the most consistent draft picks have come from that in terms of the best value picks. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this before we came on and the first position that came up to my mind, maybe was recency bias was defensive tackle. And Barry Colfield was drafted in the fourth round, had a career AV of 44. Barry Colfield was a great player. We've mentioned him so many times. And then Keith Hamilton in the fourth round too. But then there was others like Linval Joseph and Jonathan Hankins, where maybe that's where the recency bias comes into play. What was what was Barry Cofield's career AV with the Giants? Did you just did you say it? Forty four with with the Giants? Yes, fourth round pick. That's why I was saying like he was he was a, he was a very good ball player. Barry, Co- why do you think I like Barry Cofield so much? No, I know he was good. It wasn't just his taser celebration, Justin. He was a very very good ball player. So in my mind, when when you ask that right away, I'm thinking D tackle, and we agree on the defensive back. And then maybe it's PTSD from all the the trash garbage bullshit moronic offensive lineman we've drafted you could say the same thing about corner you absolutely could (laughs) but when you but when we go back and that's exactly what we did we found that the value of those positions later on they nailed them they nailed plenty of them i'm almost positive jason seahorn i think he was a second round pick but a later second round pick and way outperformed in av so they, they knew how to draft those guys clearly that's their mo um but yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because I, I truly thought that defensive tackle that was our namesake and it, what we took pride in and stopping the run and and whatnot. But you're right, guard, tackle, offensive lineman, and and D backs is really where we found the most value. And yeah. those are two, I would say, two of the top four most important positions in the NFL. So. Can't get, can't get mad at that. And real quick, I'm sorry. I wanted to mention one more in a in name in passing. Um, Sam Garns, local guy, was drafted in the fifth round, had a career AV of 45. So I think he played five years with the Giants and two years with the Jets, so he stayed local. But he was also an assistant coach on my high school football team. So there you go. I got, I got to mention that. Sam Garns, phenomenal guy. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Um Good ball player too. You know, nothing special, just solid, solid D back. And like, there you go. Another D back in the fifth round. Good value. Um, There's five more guys. There are five more guys. I want to talk about, and we're going to talk about them a little bit more, a little bit more in depth instead of just like passing. Yes. And these are, these are guys like you guys have heard us talk about all the regulars and all the, the, you know, the recent guys, but these ones are the ones that we need to show appreciation for. So hopefully Joel is back in the stream this week because we've missed him the last few weeks and he could really, uh, really dissect what we're about to say. Jesse Armstead. Now I think Jesse Armstead is 100% has to be the best, maybe besides Emlyn Tunnell, but in terms, of guy, in terms of guys that were drafted by the team, the best value pick in franchise history, the best. Jesse Armstead was drafted in the eighth round with the 270th pick in the 1993 NFL draft. He's a five-time pro bowler all within the stretch of 1997 to 2001. He was an all pro in 1997. So this is my favorite Jesse Armstead story. 32 linebackers were taken in the 1993 draft before him. 
once the Giants took him in the eighth round, Armstead, he had a list and he wrote a list of every single linebacker that was taken before him. Every time a linebacker on that list retired, he crossed their name off and Armstead never missed a game in his entire career. It's honestly ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I could pull them up. I do. He's not a Hall of Famer. We'll, we'll put it that way. He's not. But a guy like that is almost what the NFL is all about. That's an eighth round pick, you know, after the set when they had more picks and the chip on his shoulder and recording a hundred tackles a year and being, being the, the, the middle of that amazing, unbelievable 2000 defense in those years where they had a great defense in the early nineties and whatnot. Jesse Armstead by far is, he's gotta be the greatest value pick in giants history. Yeah. Has to be. I don't, I don't even think it's close. No, between 1990. So basically from 1996 on for the rest of his career, 1996 to 2000, he had over 100 tackles. He ranged between 102 tackles to 132, which was his career best. In 2001, he had a a slow year of 88 tackles. 2002, and then 2001 was his last year with the Giants. 2002 with Washington, he had 100 tackles. 2003 with Washington, he had 93 tackles, but also six and a half sacks to end his career. In the span of 1999 to 2003, he didn't have anything less than 10 tackles for loss, and in, 1990, in 1999, a Pro Bowl year, where he had 123 tackles, nine sacks. He had 21 tackles for loss. 21. You know what? I, I got to look up some Hall of Fame linebackers. I'm, I'm not even – maybe this is just being biased. Those are unbelievable numbers. And he the thing fin- is – He finished his career probably a top 10 linebacker in the league at that time. And the thing is, is – they weren't tracking like tackles for loss. They weren't, they, they weren't, they definitely weren't tracking QB hits. Right. And I don't even, he wasn't even like a full-time pass rusher. No, 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 not at all. He was no. just, he was just one of those, I hate to say his name, kind of like a Blake Martinez now, but on steroids, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. A, a tackling machine. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to be everywhere around the ball, wherever the ball is, he's going to be there. He's going to hit you in the backfield. Not a sack guy. That's fine. But for a middle linebacker, the, the leader of the, the team, I mean, that's why I had such an appreciation. I, I, I'm going off a little bit here. That's why I had such an appreciation for Antonio Pierce, who probably has a great AV, too. I think he was a, like a seventh-round pick himself, um, if you want to look that up real quick. I could I could be very wrong. I'm looking up. Um... But they, Antonio, Antonio mm-hmm. Pierce was like my childhood's Jesse Armstead. Tackling machine, not a sack guy. He's going to cover. He's going to be a leader of the defense. So I'm looking. I'm looking at um, AV in terms of where Jesse Armstead is ranked, like across like league history. Okay. So he had an created a career AV of 79, which is 490th since 1960. This is Jesse Armstead, you said. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now it's the same AV as Kerry Collins, Jake Plummer, but you have to remember. QBs that they're quarterbacks, different. so right. they're going to bring more value to their stat line. I'm trying to find Jonathan Ogden also had an 81, so he was around there too. Jonathan Ogden. Uh, Brian Brian Dawkins, who is a Hall of Famer, he had an AV of 82. So he he's, he's close. He's close. Yeah, man. I, I, this was off the top of my head. Like I would have to research more, but... I'm thinking Jesse Armstead does not get enough love from not even uh, Giants fans, obviously know him and love him, but 
maybe nationally. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I guess like a middle linebacker, middle linebacker like that, like tackle machine, they're not going to get as much as they normally should. But also, that this, is so one this hell is, of a career. Oh yeah, no, it's one hell of a career. We're also going to talk about when we get the when we get to spoiler. We're, we'll, we'll talk about George Martin next. Yes. Um, I have a crazy stat, and I tweeted. I I, I got so excited. I tweeted it from the Bleeding Blue account on Friday. This is a great. This is a great stat. So yeah. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna read that. But also, sacks were just a lot more common, like getting sacks and maybe even getting tackles for loss. They were just a lot more common in the game that was 20, 30 years ago because defenses were better and offenses still didn't fully know what they're doing. It's funny. Nick Saban, Nick Saban, uh, Nick Saban called uh, offensive minds and offensive coordinators, a very strong word. He had like a, I don't know if it was a zoom meeting. He had something where it was released and he was talking about just offenses and how the game has evolved. Um, and he, I think, I think he called him like he, he called him a strong word, like a strong anti-word, like I hate you guys because of how good offenses are. Um, but definitely Jesse Armstead, that doesn't diminish what Jesse Armstead did. So isn't he also a car salesman um, in New Jersey uh, yes, right now? Yes, he is. He is. I think it's Tenafly. I want to say. I think I'm not positive. Well, whatever. Doesn't doesn't really matter. He's got a beautiful smile too. Handsome guy. Yes. Very, very handsome. It's beautiful. Guy. It's it's awesome to be a car salesman when you're like that. Well, that's that's a good point too. George Martin, you ready for George Martin? I can't wait for George Martin. George Martin was taken in the 11th round, 262nd overall in the 1975 draft. He had a career AV of 71, and at least for like the second half of his Giants career, played all of his years in, in Giants blue. By the way. Um, at least in the second half of his career with the Giants, you can see his sacks. His best year in 1985 was 10 sacks. So I was I was looking at this and I'm like, especially for a defensive end where the Giants, the Giants kind of ran like a three, four with Bill Belichick, you know, because he had LT who was rushing the passer. Um, you had Gary Reasons, uh, who was also going after quarterback to Harry Carson's more of an interior guy. Carl Banks was, you know, out there uh, rushing the passer a little bit, too. So I asked myself, like, 10 sacks, I'm thinking of today's game, because that's what we think of 10 sacks today. You're you're a pro bowler. Like you're, you're pretty much a pro bowler. If you get, if you get 10 sacks in 1985 snacks, 29 players had at least 10 sacks on the season in 2020, 10 players had at least 10 sacks on the season. That is bizarre. It, it's like not that, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how much the tides have turned in football. I mean, quick release and everything nowadays, mm-hmm. but like, that's insane. Well, we heralded, you know, I, I hate to bring it up. Marcus Golden had 11 sacks a few years ago. He was a great ball player for us. But it would have been like one of how many back in the day. You know, oh, yeah. Co- coverage sack or not, doesn't matter. You get 11 sacks, you get 11 sacks. And now it's like we're, we're, we're salivating over a guy who can get us 10 yeah. sacks. Because it I just did doesn't some, happen uh, as often as it does, no, as it did. No, I did some social media posts on Aaron Thomas, who was um, a Giants tight end in like the 60s. And then I think he retired in 1970. And I said, like, he is arguably the best tight end in franchise history because he kind of has just as much production as like Mark Bavaro does, except it was in a game and it was an era where you weren't throwing the ball as much as you were in the eighties. And you're certainly not throwing the ball as much as you are now. Right. And one of the common trends that I'm seeing whenever I look at players in the fifties and the sixties that 
you know, yeah, you're not passing as much, but the yards per reception, like when you did throw, it usually went for like a big play. So that's why it's not surprising to read that, you know, in 1985, basically one on average, one player per team had at least 10 sacks. And it's because quarterbacks are holding onto the ball and offenses weren't as advanced. They didn't know how to throw back then. Right. You're not, you're not, it's not, it's not like, I don't want to say like, you know, Joe, Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, they knew where to throw the ball. Well, um, I mean, there, there are a couple occasions. Yeah. A yeah couple the systems, <laughs> the systems weren't as advanced and you're throwing the ball downfield more and you're holding onto the ball for longer. Um, but so that's just bizarre, but still looking at George Martin, again, not to downgrade his career, not to downgrade his impact because he did have great impact, especially during the Super Bowl runs there would be games where LT would kind of be quiet and it's because he's getting double teamed. He's getting triple teamed. So then Leonard, Leonard opens things up for Leonard Marshall. It opens things up for George Martin. I believe George Martin, I think he had a really good game in Super Bowl, and I'm going to look this up right now. He had two sacks and yep. He had two sacks in the 1986 postseason, And I believe they might've came in that Super Bowl against uh, John Elway. And and John Elway considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So look at that. George Martin was a mainstay in that defense for years. And where, where we picked him where again? 11th round. 11th round. 11th round. AV is 71. Come on. I, I'm almost, you know what? I didn't watch him play, but I'm almost thinking. We said Armstead was, was the most valuable. I'm, uh, I'm starting to have a little trepidations here, Justin. I think Armstead is because Armstead I, I didn't know Armstead didn't have LT banks and everyone else around him. He had Strahan and Keith Hamilton up front. Yeah. It's not like he had bums in, in front of them. They had a good D line. They always did, but you're right. LT is like a different specimen banks, different specimen. Um, but I don't know. 11th round. And okay. So, what Tom Thibodeau says about Julius Randle this year with the Knicks, the impact on winning. I think you can make an argument. George Martin had a better impact on winning than, than Jesse did. Right now, it, obviously the Super Bowl, and whatnot, Jesse Armstead didn't win one, but, and you could also make the counter argument with LT and banks and the better players around him on that defense and maybe the better coaching, but I don't know. 11th round. AV is only two, two, yeah. two numbers apart. And George Martin was one of those guys in the seventies that there was a lot of guys. There was a lot of good players that giants had in the seventies. This next guy that we're going to talk about is one of them. Mm. Um, guys like Brad Van Pelt that stayed around yeah. in the seventies. Then they just had to retire in the early eighties because they were getting older. So they didn't get a chance to see or see be a part through. of the giants making like the promise line. But this right. next guy is unfortunately one of those guys who was very, very good. And he, did not get a chance to see the Giants make make the Super Bowl, make, make the promised land. Brian Kelly. And after watching his videos real quick, Brian Kelly, yes, I'm sorry to interrupt. After watching the video of him, I wish he had both Super Bowl rings. Yeah. The man deserves it. Go ahead. He was drafted in the 14th round, 300, 353rd overall in the 19th, 1973 draft. And he ironically enough has a career AV of 73 as well. He was part of the crunch bunch with Brad Van Pelt, LT, um, Harry Carson for a couple years in the eighties, they're the early, early eighties giants, but then Brad Van Pelt and Brian Kelly, they retired at the same time together after the 1983 season. And then that's when the giants really started to pick up some of their most, some of their momentum. I'm very, very happy for him though. Um, 
didn't win the Super Bowl, but he did say that part of one of his best career moments was beating Philadelphia in the playoffs in 1981, which is always, a, it's always going to be good by us. Yeah. <laughs> always going to well, be good. Part of that, uh, that famous poster, um, with them, like in the, 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 the construction hats. And I'm sure yeah, it's a on lot the screen of, uh, right now. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Sorry. Good now job. You gotta put it in. <laughs> well, no, I was going to put it in anyway, but that was, that was good. Good job thinking like a producer snacks. Um, yeah. Brian Kelly, intense guy. And we were even watching, uh, we randomly just put on as, pre- as preparing for the show, we put on a uh, 1977 week three against the San Francisco uh, 49ers. Jim Plunkett led San Francisco 49ers. Um, and he had an interception that game and he, and he returned it back yeah. for like 30 yards. He was like, it was a big wheel route and Kelly was able to keep up with the wide receiver running back, somebody down the field and had an athletic interception. I was just going to say, you just took the words out of my mouth. It was a very athletic play. Yeah. And that video that, that we watched, it was so cool because he talks about um, Madeline Burke, who, you know, you guys know from, from giants.com and on giant social media and everything. She asked, what's your like relationship with the crunch bunch now? And he's like, you know, we I, I talked to all those guys and, I you know, Brad Van Pelt, rest in peace. He died at a very young age. Those two were very close. They spent he um, Kelly talks about how they spent he spent more time with Brad Van Pelt than he has his wife and his kids. Um, they were great friends. And he talks to LT all the time. He talks to Harry Carson all the time. They play golf all the time. So to me and Justin, I, I know we were talking. That is a very, very cool thing. The Crunch Bunch, which it was such a, you know, such a a big thing in giants history with, with those four great linebackers and the fact that they're still all together like that. It's kind of heartwarming. If that makes sense. Maybe, maybe a little too sentimental, but to me, that is very, very cool. Agreed. My friend, you want to wrap up? We got two more guys. Let's wrap up. Let's do it. Two more guys on the offensive line. Mm. One being Billy Ard from East orange, New Jersey. Eighth Shout round, out, baby. Shout eighth out. round pick. 221st overall is he had a Giants AV of 58. I called my father about it True to, story. True to, story. to get to try and get some information. We heard Mr. Penkin on the phone. Yeah, Mr. Penkin on the phone. And he didn't give me a lot of information on, on these guys. He, he is not as psychotic as Snacks and I are in terms of knowing, knowing all the players like the back of our hands, but also Snack did, Snacks did say in defense they didn't have like pro football reference back then. They had, you know, fans like in the eighties and nineties, they had like newspapers and they watched the game and that was pretty much it. Um, they didn't have giants.com to look up like the roster and where right. these guys are from. They had their um, own two eyes to, to form an opinion on right. what a player was. But what my father said about Billiard, he was quiet. He was a quiet and come to work every day kind of guy. And I think that fits. Yeah. He's a good looking man too. Very good looking man. No, Billiard was uh, the ugly one. Nope. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. That was. Wait, are we getting confused with the nope. good looking men? Nope. Billy Yard was a good looking man. Good looking man. Oh, you, very... ha- you, ha- you have it written here. You're right. You're oh, you're right. He had the beautiful, the, the, the great jawline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big brown eyes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Billy Yard was a good looking dude. Good ball player, too. Yep. Left guard. He was driving defenders to the left for Phil Sims for eight years. And the final guy that I want to talk about, David Deal. Great way to end off. David Deal. David Deal. Um, yeah. I want to scroll up on my document. David Deal, fifth round, 160th overall pick in the 2003 NFL draft. He was a pro bowler in 2009, a left tackle, a guard. They, he literally played anywhere and everywhere mm-hmm. the Giants asked him to play, and he's also a two-time Super Bowl champion. He did not miss a single game until the 2010 season where he missed four 
games, but snacks. I, I, I feel like there's been some times on the show where I've said, like, I think deal gets a little too much credit for being like a good player. I think Kareem McKenzie was a much a better far lineman, better, far better line. You know, O'Hara was, I think O'Hara was a better lineman. I think Snee was definitely the best lineman out of I all. I think all them. four of them were better than deal. Honestly, really? Even Soybert. Mm. Soybert, Soybert's a toss up, but yeah, but I, I don't like hating on deal all that much because of he did everything that the, that that coaching staff asked him to do through numerous coaching staffs too. Every single thing that they asked him to do, he did. He showed up to work. He played hard, and you know clearly you you're two time Super Bowl champion for a reason, and you play in the NFL for such a long time for a reason. Yeah, and you know my favorite thing about David Deal was his passion for the Giants. He th- there was no doubt he loved being a New York Giant. I'm, I'll never forget when. It was we talked about it last week, the Christmas Eve game, the Giants Jets and the Jets covered up the Super Bowl banners. David Deal was the first one after the game in the yeah. locker room, uncovering him like this. This is our city. And he's talking like these are our championships. Don't talk, blah, 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 blah. I, I love that. Now he's a homer. Obviously, he's on the Giants network and everything. But I, I love that passion. And I don't know why I'm bringing this up. But every time I think of David Deal, I think of that's what Jerry Reese wanted Justin Pugh to be, except. Yeah, except we drafted David Deal in the fifth round and drafted Justin Pugh in the first round because we moved Pugh all over the line. Yeah, and he he was okay. He was never he was never good or great. I, I, you could say he was good. Couldn't David stay Deal healthy. Was, David Deal never, did never stayed. David Deal stayed healthy. Never missed a snap, and he never bitched about where he was playing ever. Right. Literally, he was he he was the left tackle for the two Super Bowls. Was he not? Yes, he was. And he was not. A great left tackle. I you could probably argue his best position was I think I think it was left guard. Maybe but I, all the, I could, I'll tell you what though, all those years you gotta play. I mean, the NFC East has always been known for their pass rushers, and you you gotta yeah. play the NFC East, yeah, especially Demarcus Ware. Oh. All those years of him playing Demarcus Ware, and I you know, I, I don't really feel like Demarcus Ware ever really had a game where he absolutely took over. No. So dude did no, his so job. He did his job, he Two did guys, his job. Billy R, David Deal that just showed up. They did their job. They said, you know, excuse me, sir, may I please have another? And they didn't say shit about anything. So um, oh, it, it's very true. So it's those uh, silent assassin types on the offensive line that, yeah. that you love. And that's why that that 2000, uh, 2007 to, I guess, 2000, whatever it was, that offensive line, those five guys were very special. Yeah. And um, we should always herald them. And David Deal was, you can you can honestly say he was he was the captain of that those five guys he was O'Hara. the vocal leader you know o'hara yeah center. but o'hara, o'hara came in free agency yes i know what you're saying no center center's the captain of the offense yeah, line. yeah he yeah, calls yeah. Out, I, he calls I, I out get protections it. I, I get it i get it i get it you're wrong excuse me you're wrong excuse me there's an argument both ways i understand what the center's position why do you think last year i wanted a center so bad in the second round because i i what did i you know what now I'm fucking pissed. I right, didn't even use the F word. Show. I didn't even use the F word. Now I'm pissed. I know, I know O'Hara was the leader of that. I know he was the vocal leader. He calls the protections, everything. But David Deal was there. He was drafted by the Giants. He knew the organization. He knew the culture. He knew everything. He knew Coughlin. He knew everything. And then O'Hara, and then O'Hara comes in. We're ending the show. No, because you have a personal vendetta against David Deal. I know you do. I don't. I know you. Yes, you do. You always have. I have a personal personal bias towards Shona Harris since he put Captain on the helmet that he signed for me. Oh, so that is bullshit. 
You're bullshit. This is, there's a Brendan bullshit argument. Two weeks in a row where you're fucking screaming. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad. This isn't this isn't me being you're mad, mad at, at the situation. It's a, it's a different it's a differencing of opinion right here. That's all. I think David Deal was the leader of the five. I do. We're ending the show. Now let's end the show. Uh, real quick, real quick. Fuck Tiki Barber. It was cool. his birthday. Yeah, we- it was his birthday this past week, and the Giants tweeted it out, and I've never been more disgusted. I am followed the Giants on Twitter. So Bobby tweeted out from the Talking Giants account. Yeah, I know. He did it to piss us off. I know. Because he's a scumbag, too. All right. We'll see you next week. I think we're going to continue with some draft coverage, some draft stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. I, think I forget what we have planned, but we'll, we'll we'll think of something. We got No, we we, we, we got plenty. We got plenty because we got two weeks to the draft. So yeah. we, we got we got some time. Ooh. All right. Ooh. 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 Don't Ooh. touch your arm. You got a shot there. Ooh. No, no, no. It was the left arm. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, wait. If you have a pain in your right arm, is that? Is that a heart attack? All right, we're going to go, so I have to go drive up to take care of snacks. We'll see you next week. Keep on bleeding blue peace.